Welcome you back to your seats. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It's time to get started, folks. Merry Christmas to you all. And grab a seat and grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. Taking a break still from our verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Matthew. We'll get back after Christmas, but for now we're considering the joy, the wonder, and the hope of Christmas, and we're going to ask the Lord for his blessing. Let's do that. Now, Father God, as we consider the miracle of Christmas, uh, the purpose for your coming and bring light and hope and life, we pray that we would hear these old truths in a fresh new way as your spirit gives them life. We open our hearts and our lives before you, the God who created us, who knit us together in our mother's womb, who ordained our footsteps for good things, not to harm us, but to give us a hope and a future. So thank you for your great love. May we have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We call them divine appointments, don't we? You know what I mean by that when circumstances come about amazing timing, or it happens in such an amazing way, the only way to explain it would be the miraculous hand of God. We call that the providence of God, how God can work behind the scenes to bring it all about. And one of the more, more remarkable divine appointments in my entire life happened a few years back in Petaluma. At the time, I was an associate pastor. A man was visiting the church, and we ran into each other. He told me a little bit about his story, how he was running from God and he needed to just surrender his life. And I suggested that we have lunch together and we set something up. So I was sitting there a few days later waiting for him, but he uh, stood me up. Uh, and so a few days after that, we ran into each other just like smack face to face, boom, <laughs> down, downtown. Such a random meeting, and I go, hey, bro, you know what? <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, something came up, and he's, I'll give you a call, I'll give you a call, and all of that. And so, of course, he didn't give me a call. So about a month later, I'm, I turned the corner at Costco, and boom, right into him. Okay. <laughs> and I go, bro, I'm not stalking you at all, <laughs> but I'm telling you what, maybe we should get together and have lunch. And he goes, yeah, 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 I'll call you, I'll call you, you know, so... A few weeks go by, and I'm out for a random drive. I decided from Petaluma I was going to go out to Samuel P. Taylor Park and go for a hike. Well, while I'm driving, just kind of doing my thing, I see the sign Helen Putnam Park, and my kid had just had a field trip recently and went there, and I didn't even know where it was. And so I saw the sign and just like, swerved and got into the parking lot and just kind of got out and stood there. The wind was blowing and it was twilight. It was kind of, the sun was getting ready to go down. And so it was, uh, it was just an eerie feeling, 
you know, to be there. And I was almost like, what? You know, like, well, my soul was stirred up about something. And then, you know, I'm getting ready to get back in the car because there's not a soul in sight. As far as your, your eye could see, nobody anywhere. But I hear this jingling sound. It's a mountain bike bouncing down this trail. And it's getting closer and closer. And I'm standing in the parking lot. My car's kind of parked awkwardly. The door's open. I'm just like standing there. And down it comes beelining for me and just straight for me. And I'm like, what's going on here? He comes straight up to me as far as I can touch him right here. And he takes off his sunglasses and his helmet. It's him. <laughs> and I said, bro. <laughs> I said, God always gets his man. And I said, we can do this the hard way, or we can do this the easy way. But I'll tell you what, nothing like that has ever really happened. I mean, that happens a lot on a lesser scale. But wow, that was a, a real divine appointment for sure. When God wants to bring two people together, uh, it's going to happen like in the temple, that first Christmas time, a divine appointment for sure there in Luke chapter 2, a story that uh, doesn't get a lot of press. We're going to look at it today. It happened at the most weird slash wonderful baby dedication. Weird and wonderful because for starters, it's no ordinary baby. <laughs> baby they're holding there. It's God's only begotten son. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 says, by him... All things were created, now disguised as an infant, come to incarnate flesh and blood so that he can lay down his life and die for the sins of the world. But there he is, disguised as a baby. And there's this random chance meeting with this godly man. He scoops Jesus up in his arms and says the most amazing things. And it causes his parents not that they didn't already have enough reasons to be marveling, <laughs> Joseph and Mary, but they marvel all the more because of the word spoken. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He utters the true meaning of Christmas. It's nothing to do with Santa Claus, but everything to do with salvation. And here's a guy, Simeon. You know, you don't even think of him. It's like Simeon who? You know, there's no Christmas ornament made in his likeness. There's no, right? I mean, everybody else, you get Joseph and you've got Mary and you've got, you know, the star of Bethlehem and you've got the, you got uh, the, the, the angels singing, the shepherds, everybody, even the little drummer boys there. And he wasn't even there, right? <laughs> But everybody knows that. But when you say Simeon, oh, the Christmas story, Simeon, people are like, what? Who's Simeon? And it's just so important to the whole Christmas uh, message. And so we're going to take a look at that message uh, and this wonderful divine appointment. Here we go, starting at verse 25. Now there was this man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Christ is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew Messiah, the chosen Savior. 
Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, three mentions of the Holy Spirit here uh, is significant. Moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts for his divine appointment. When the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for Jesus what the custom of the Bible Leviticus 12 required baby boys dedicated after eight days. Uh, Simeon takes him in his arms and praises God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He finishes up. And Joseph and his mother marveled yet again at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, Heads up, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel, not to mention the whole world, and to be a sign that will be spoken against sadly, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Merry Christmas. Well, yeah, right? The good news has a component of bad news even to us when we hear the good news. The bad news is, is there's got to be a death. You have to humble yourself, right? You have to come through the narrow, straight gate, Right? We say goodbye to our sins and hello to a cross. And so, yeah, we have to admit that we're hopeless and helpless and sinful. That, that's a hard pill to swallow. And that's kind of the Christ, Christmas message as well, is, is that there are reasons for great joy, good news of great joy, and also along with that, some sorrow as well. And so... Here before us, three things to consider. A divine appointment, that first paragraph. Simeon stumbles upon the Savior. Oh, what a coincidence. What, a, what are the odds? And secondly, a divine mission. The message there, this child comes as light into a dark, dark world. The light of life. And lastly, a divine destiny. We hear what the destiny of this child is, and Christ will... Raise some up, and he will take others down. So let's check out that divine appointment with Simeon. Simeon's name means uh, to hear God, to be listening, you see? And I think that, and I think this is true, that the Holy Spirit led the Old Testament parents uh, to name their children prophetically, because oftentimes their names really uh, are in sync with how God uses their lives. And so Simeon is all ears. And because he's all ears to God, God can do amazing things with people who are listening. Go figure. So here is point number one, that divine appointment. Let me paraphrase in an extended way to help it sink in. So, verse 25, there happens to be a man who really loves the Lord. He's living in Jerusalem by the name of listening for God. He was living with great expectation of the Messiah. That's what consolation of Israel means. I'll explain that. 
He's waiting for Messiah. He's on tiptoe there, and the Holy Spirit was really working in his life. Verse 26, in fact, the Spirit let him know he would see the Savior in his lifetime. Verse 27, one faithful day, the Spirit led him straight into the temple courts, and boom. A divine set up for sure. So first we have a description of Simeon in your text, right? Interestingly, nothing about his physical appearance, though usually we think of him as a senior citizen because of the way he phrases, you know, okay, I've seen salvation, so in keeping with your promise, God, you know, I can depart in peace. So it sounds like he's old, but it doesn't uh, necessarily mean that that's the case. Uh, but nothing about his income, his station in life, his education, his position in the temple, we don't even know. Is he an official in the temple? Is he a priest there? Is he working there? No, the, the whole point is here's an ordinary man who listens to God. He loves God. And look what God can do with an ordinary man like Simeon. Nothing about how he looks, just how he behaves. Because to God, that's what matters. Not the outward but the inward, which is a scary thought considering the inordinate time we spend in the mirror and all the time and expense we do to appear outwardly a certain way. The prophet Samuel had to learn this the hard way a thousand years earlier. Remember the Holy Spirit spoke to Samuel and said, go, I've got a real king instead of this Saul guy. He's got uh, seven brothers. He's over there at Jesse's house. Go anoint him. And so he goes in, Samuel does, and he's looking for the one, and his eye goes straight to the most handsome guy in the room, the tallest man in the room, and says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And the Holy Spirit says, no, Samuel, no. I have rejected him. He is not the one. And by the way, Samuel, you guys are obsessed with the outward. God looks at the heart. That's a quote from the scriptures. And so, yes, indeed, <laughs> always drawn to the uh, outward attractive thing. And the funny thing is, is really, David was a handsome man. And so as uh, God didn't reject Eliab because he was attractive outwardly, uh, he was rejected because he was inwardly unattractive. So there's not a problem with the outward. It's just the inward is what really makes it. And whatever Simeon looked like, uh, he's got it going on where it counts on the inside. Yes, indeed. So verse 25 goes ahead and starts to describe him as righteous. And since the Bible already tells us, no, there's not one righteous person in the world, righteousness means by faith he got right with God. And then because he got right with God, a goodness, a kindness, humility, obedience flowed from the heart that now is right with God in sync with the spirit. New life is flowing. That's what righteous means. And this is the kind of man he was. He was right with God. And you could tell that by how he lived and spoke. And devout. Devout's an interesting word in your text. Follow along with me. Cautious. It means to be cautious. What does that mean? Cautious in how you speak to honor God. You live with intentionality, we say. 
You don't just wake up and go about your life and just kind of react and respond and like a pinball being shot all over the board of your life. A devout Christian is one who, like the Proverbs say, the wisdom of the wise is this, to give thought to their ways. And so before you answer an aggressive person, you are cautious. You pause, you ponder, you pray, all in a few seconds. And then, in wisdom, you respond carefully with a soft answer that turns away wrath. This is the kind of man he was. He was devout. He was righteous. And because he's right with God, he's got the right focus. The overarching theme of his life is, I'm waiting to see God face to face, the Messiah. So he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation means comfort. Consolation of Israel is code in the Old Testament for the Messiah. And the reason it was called the consolation, the comfort of Israel, is because the, pro the prophet said Messiah will appear to comfort Israel in a time of adversity. In other words, the prophets say in Armageddon, at the end of the world, it's during the tribulation that Israel turns to Yeshua, cries out at Armageddon, they look up, all other options are gone now. And they're like, what do we got to lose? Let's try this Jesus. He works for the Gentiles. Let's try him. <laughs> and boom, they, all Israel is saved of Romans 11, verse 25. And they come to know their Savior. And so uh, it's in coming to know uh, the Messiah in the sense of his comfort. He, he gets rid of the bad guys. And he comforts, he consoles Israel. And so that's what he's waiting. He's on tiptoe. He's waiting for the, the, the big ticket item, you know. And I'm telling you what, when you're waiting for Messiah, when you're waiting to see any second I'm going to see God's face, it has a purifying effect on your life. That's First John chapter 3. When we have a hope that any second I'm going to look at and see him face to face, well, it matters what I'm allowing in my mind and what's coming out of my mouth and my priorities, my relationships. I'm going to see Jesus any second, and which is true anyway. I mean, your heartbeat, all it has to do is go from this to this. Boom. You're looking at Jesus, right? So how do you want that to go? How do you want that to go? Well, you think about that now. Right? That's what the idea is, that he's waiting for Jesus, so he's, he's listening for God, and because he's listening, God can make him especially sensitive to his spirit. And now, he's really listening now, because you know why? There's rumors. There's rumors. He might have always been looking for Messiah, but oh, now. He's really checking things out. Why? Because of what happened with John the Baptist's father in Jerusalem, where Simeon lives. And he's always hanging out at the temple. What happened with Zechariah's father? He sees an angel, Gabriel, tells him, hey, listen, your wife, even though she couldn't have kids when she was young, and now she's way past that age, she's going to have a baby. And you're going to give him the name John, and he's going to be the forerunner to Messiah. And so he comes out of the temple. He can't talk because he, he had a bad attitude. And so, so the angel said, you know what we do with bad attitudes? <laughs> we zip it, you know. <laughs> and 
If you don't believe it, you wouldn't speak it, right? So it, it's a punishment that fits the crime. And so he comes out, and this is a big deal. And quote the Bible, Luke chapter 1 says, everyone in the region was filled with awe and news spread loudly over the Judean hills. And guess who lived there? Simeon. So now he knows, well, the baby's born six months ago. Where's the next baby? So I imagine him poking around, looking under receiving blankets, <laughs> you know, raising one up going, uh, maybe not. <laughs> or, you know, however it goes. We'll talk more about that. But he lives, look at this, three shout outs to the Holy Spirit, which is rare Old Testament, rare. I mean, the Spirit would come upon them, but not, it's, it's the, the day of Pentecost doesn't happen. The Spirit just doesn't hang out with them. Well, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. This is a special kind of guy. He's got his ear open, his heart is soft, his spirit is willing to obey, and the Holy Spirit just says, I delight hanging out here because all I have to do is do this, and the guy goes, or he stays, or he'll speak, it's just a joy to have. And so the Holy Spirit's on him, and uh, no wonder. And so it made him, because he walks with the Spirit, by the way, we're told New Testament, wise to keep ourselves in step with the Spirit. And this is his life, totally. And if you keep yourself in step with the Spirit, then you can hear God whisper a personal promise to you. Hey, by the way, how did he do this? Who knows? You're going to see the Messiah face to face before you die. He's got ears to hear. He listens. He's in the word. He's reading scrolls. He's not off doing worldly things and uh, filled up with his own agenda. So he's available so God can speak a personal promise to somebody who's always listening. And then he can discern when God says, stirs him up and says, he's here. He's on the premises or something like that. He stirred him up. Go in the temple courts. And he would just go because he's that kind of guy. And so he has a special sensitivity for sure. One uh, writer was saying, you know, the reason we don't see God, the Holy Spirit, working so much in our hearts and lives is because, as he said, God speaks to all his children and wants to speak to all his children, but not all God's children are listening. No, 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 no. I was jogging around the lake one summer day, and I saw a couple, older couple, coming toward me, and I was jogging in their direction. And the wife is talking up a storm. She's using her hands, and she's talking, and it looks like he's listening, but the only problem is he's got these ginormous headphones. <laughs> and when I pass by, no joke, it's so loud, I could hear the sportscaster. I could hear the baseball game going on. I'm like, that is not happening, you know? And she's looking like he's talk she's talking to him, and he's looking like I'm listening, I'm listening. But how is that possible? Simeon took off the world's headphones, and he's got a different pair of earbuds straight in. None of that nonsense. Look. When, when your brain is filled, there's only so much RAM in there, all right? <laughs> Apparently, it's time to uh, <laughs> go Christmas shopping. There's your phone, but 
There's only so much space. So if you're filled up with, you know, well, my sister-in-law and all of that problem, and then you're just filled up, there's no space. There's no space for God to, to work because you're full up. And the headphones are on. And so it's never a question, is God wanting to speak to you? You're always wondering, aren't you? Where are you, God? Why don't you speak to me? Why don't you do stuff like that in my life? And he's like, <laughs> I wonder what that could be, you know? Yeah, so are we listening? Are we Simeon? Are we hearing? Verse 27b, so when Joseph and Mary bring the baby in the temple to dedicate him on the official naming, right? And according to God's word, Leviticus 12, verse 28, Simeon is in place because that's what obedient Christians do. They get prompted and they do it. He's in place and he scoops Jesus up, praises God saying, sovereign Lord. Of course he says sovereign Lord. Sovereign means providential. He's in control. He's in charge. He orders footsteps. He takes one up and he, and he takes one down. Sovereign, right? Sovereign, you told me to come in here. You promised me I would see the Messiah and I'm looking at him. Now you're so sovereign. God, sovereign Lord who governs all things, just like you promised now I can depart this life in peace. Verse 30, because I've seen with my own eyes the one who saves. Verse 31, which you provided for the whole world, a shining light, for all the nations, in a special honor to your people Israel. I'll say, I mean, he's Jewish. God reigning on a throne, humanly speaking, is a Jew. That's an honor to a certain people, but he came not just for the, the Israelites, as the text and the prophecy is reminding everybody, especially the Jews, who had a kind of a problem. It took them a long time to understand that he wasn't just theirs, right? And so the mission of Messiah whispered into the ears of one who's listening. Simeon is that name. So Simeon's in place. He's, he's on high alert. He doesn't necessarily even know why, but he, he stirred up, right? And by the way, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, we should all be on high alert all the time. And the reason Peter says, hey, be sober and on high alert, he says, because you have an enemy, the devil, and he's prowling. And he's always looking for a foothold. So if you're not on high alert and you're not sober-minded, he's going to get a foothold. And then he's going to wreak havoc. And so, yeah, here we go. Simon, Simeon, I should say, uh, knows. And somehow he's in place. And they connect. And Simon knows. And, and they know that Simon knows. There's just this beautiful, touching meeting. Uh, my thought, I'm always wondering things like, well, how did Simeon, I keep calling him Simon. I'll probably do that for the rest of the sermon. How did <laughs> Simeon get Jesus out of Joseph's arms or Mary's arms. Here's this wide-eyed Pentecostal kind of guy, loves the Lord. He's like, the child, the Messiah. Oh, there he is. Let me hold the baby. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I can see Mary going like, uh, he's entrusted to us, that's God's only begotten son. And so, yeah, no. <laughs> but no, Mary's not that kind of gal. Mary talks to Gabriel and says, and even though she was about to pass out 
the scriptures say. She says, may every last word that you have said about me come true because I live to serve the Lord. So she's, she's got a, she's not for the faint of heart. That's not her, right? So how did that transfer go? Well, you know, uh, I imagine actually it's going to be one of the most touching scenes of all. You know, they, there's joy. It was obvious. It was natural. It was wonderful. It was anointed. God just worked this beautiful uh, choreographed thing where he scoops up in his arms. Check this out. The one who's waiting for comfort, now holding the God of all comfort. That's how it works. You're waiting for comfort. You get it, right? And he's holding the one who spoke and the universe leapt into existence only now in the form of man, in the form of a baby. That's an amazing thing. Not everybody's going to be able to say in heaven, I I held God in my arms. But everybody in heaven will be able to say, God held me in his arms, right? Or that God actually dwelled in my heart because he did, right? So the angels are looking in. This is a scene. I got a picture of famous artist rendering. You know, can you just imagine if you start thinking that no one exists without that baby? That's an amazing thing. It's like, dude, do not drop this kid. Honestly, you really want to be careful. It would make me a little nervous. As it is, guys don't like babies like that. They're too little. You know, guys would prefer, you know, most guys, you know, maybe six months when they look like a little turkey where you can... (laughs) But when they're newborn, I'm like, yeah, cute. Yeah, yeah, just let mom deal with them. So so one of the most touching scenes in all of the world, holding God in swaddling clothes. Yes, disguised as a helpless little infant, as which he was, because Hebrews 2 says he was made in every way like us, so that he could die like us. Sinless, because he's more than just a man. He's the God-man come to save us. And so, yeah, so I love the Christian. He's holding the one who defeats death, so of course he's not afraid to die. And the way he talks about it is the way Christians talk about death. We're the only ones like this who can say, now you can dismiss me. I'm going to depart from my duties. Dismiss me from my duties serving you here so that I can serve you there. I'm just getting a promotion is the kind of thought. is like, now I can depart You can call me home now because you kept your promise. I see, I know. Wow, it's all good. I can come home. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's because the one who destroyed the power of the devil, who had the power of death, the evil one, he came to destroy him, Hebrews chapter 2. That's why the babies hit there, to destroy the power of the one who held the power of death. No wonder he's cool about that, you know? So he can depart the life in peace because I have seen your salvation. Play on words, did you catch it? I have seen your, Jesus' name. I have seen your Yeshua. It's the same word for salvation. 
So he's looking, and catch this, he's looking into the face of the one who saves. So he doesn't come, around, come away from this saying, well, now I know all the good works I needed doing. Get busy so that I could be saved. Salvation, forever know this, is not about what you do. It's who you know. I have seen the one who saves me because it's all on him. It's nothing we do. We trust in the one who does what we could never do in our own power, hopeless, helpless, dead in sin. You can't do a thing. It's not about good and bad. It's about being made alive, taken out of your, your being dead in sin and transgressions and being made alive and living. That's really what it's about. You know, I've got a scripture here to bring that home in Titus chapter 3, but when the, and here's Christmas. You don't ever think of this as Christmas, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared in swaddling clothes, folks, he saved us when he grew to be the sin offering of the world and laid his life down on a piece of wood he created. Not because of right things we've done, but because of his mercy. That's how we're saved. Why should I let you into heaven? Well, that had nothing to do with me. It's because I trusted in your son. He saved us through the washing of the rebirth, the Holy Spirit. You believe in the Lord. The Holy Spirit comes in, raises you to new life, born again. The renewal of your soul, your life, your mind by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been pardoned, excused, exonerated, forgiven, justified, by his grace, we might become heirs. <laughs> heirs, having the hope of eternal life. I just thought of this. Years ago, I, I, I met a guy in church, a young man, you know, and he drove in in a Ferrari, and he was just, just, just had the world by the tail kind of guy. And I go, what do you do for a living? And he's in his 20s. He goes, I'm an heir. I'm an heir. And he goes, yeah, family money. So I don't, I don't work. I got a house I'm in New York. I got a house here in San Francisco, all of that. I went, oh, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. Right. Well, you know what? But every time I every time since then I read about us being heirs, he calls us co-heirs with Christ. That means co-heirs with somebody means you stand to inherit whatever the other person is inheriting. That's the son of God. That's the son of God. He's going to inherit a lot of stuff and you're co-heirs with him. Wow, that's just too much. It's all about Christmas. So when the kindness of love and love of God appeared to all the world, and see, here's the deal in verse uh, 31 now, follow along with me. He's not just Israel's Savior, as, as uh, Simeon's pointing out. And so Isaiah 46 shoots through Simeon's mind because he's a man of the word. And, he, and he, Isaiah 46 says, listen, Israel, you're a lighthouse to the whole world. It's not just about you. Uh, you are getting all of this revelation so that you may shine the light of life for the whole earth that I might bring my salvation to the, to the ends, to the last corners of the earth. And that's what he brings out here. Now, people are always offended 
because they say, oh, Jesus is such an exclusive path. You guys think you're the only ones who have the corner market on truth and heaven and all of that. Listen, the message is exclusive in that there's one way to be saved, but it's offered in the most inclusive way possible to whosoever. So if you are a Muslim, if you are a murderer, if you're just a good, decent guy, if you're a prostitute, it doesn't matter your orientation, your criminal history, your race, your creed, your color. Come to Jesus, the creator of all things, who bled and died for you to wipe your sins away. If that's the remedy of a sinless sacrifice standing in your place, then God is not just some big mean dictator saying it's my way or the highway. He's just being loving and saying, there's one way to get rid of your sins and one way only, not by you being a good person, but by you receiving a gift of somebody who took the rap for you. And that was God himself, sinless, laid down on that cross. Just every time you see Jesus dying on a cross in some movie, you just know that is God doing what the only way to save you and me. And he offers that to everybody, so it's inclusive. But sorry, it is a narrow path. Uh, Jesus said, hey, the gateway to life is narrow and tight. And relatively speaking, uh, few there be that find it. Broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many go that way. Quoting Jesus, Jesus' words there. So, yeah, so the, he says it's not just Israel's message, you know. Uh, it's for the world there. And the gospel's the really the source of healing all racial division. Oh, my word. When we get to heaven, you're going to look around, and here's what he, John looked around, and here's what John saw. And behold, a great multitude that no one could count. That's a big number, right? From every nation from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before Jesus there, clothed in splendor and worshiping God because of the one who came and now is in swaddling clothes and in the arms of some peasant, Simeon. This is the child who will be raised to become who he is, wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, but right before that, he says, a child is born, a son is given. There's the child born, the son is given. And in that body of his is wonderful counselor, almighty God. And he's come to bring us all together in him for whosoever believes. Finally, the last few verses, here comes some bittersweet news there. Uh, I'll paraphrase in spite of what they already know. That's been a lot of amazing things. Joseph and Mary are, are astounded by these words. It's like, well, who are you? How'd you know we were here? And, wow, all these amazing words in tandem with all the other things. So Mary is now pondering in her heart. The word means treasuring up. She's just storing it all, and so is Joseph, no doubt. Amazed at the words, verse 34, then Simeon blesses them. He probably hands Jesus back and gives Mary some bittersweet heads up. Uh, Jesus is destined to raise some up and take others out. He will be a target for much slander. 
That's what that word means. He's going to be the magnet for all rebellious pushback to the truth of God. He's the one. He's the sign. Um, and then he goes on to say, and because of him, the thoughts of many hearts are going to be displayed for everyone to see. And by the way, Mary, his pain will be your pain too. You know who's at the foot of the cross? John, Mary Magdalene, and Mary, his mother. His mother's at the foot of that cross watching her son gasp and take each struggled breath. He wasn't recognizable as a human being from the swelling, the Bible says. So yeah, heads up, Mary. There's going to be some pain for you as well. So last point here, divine destiny of God's son. He doesn't stay in that cradle, you know, and he doesn't stay on that cross. 33 years from this scene of swaddling Jesus, 33 years later, he is ascended to the name that is higher than all other names, exalted to the place where he was before the creation of the world, sharing with the Father the glory that was there, theirs before the universe even was there. He takes his rightful throne. Just 33 years from this, he's now sitting on his throne, where he is, and according to this, to sum it up, he, be, he, be, he is the determiner of the destinies of every human being. This baby will decide where every human being ever born in all the earth will spend eternity. That's what he's saying. He will, for some, it's really good news, they will, and your word in the text there, for some will rise, the, the word, he will lift them up, the word is Resurrection, same word. Some he will resurrect and others he will pull down. And it's all about how they respond to him. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Philippians chapter 2. And so what I like right there at the beginning is God so kind to still keep inspiring and filling Joseph and Mary's spiritual tank to keep it full of faith, right? Because it's an amazing thing to, to hear what they've been hearing. But every time, you know, you would think Gabriel's enough in the beginning and then she's miraculously conceives and Joseph's got some angelic visitors and dreams. But then the shepherds, they're resting He's laying in a manger, and the shepherds bust in. We've seen angels in the sky, and they told us the Savior's born, and he's a baby, and he's wrapped in swaddling and clothes, and if we came to Bethlehem, we would find him. Glory to God in the highest. And they were singing, and there were all these angels. And you know, Joseph and Mary are looking at each other like, whoa, this is really happening. This is really happening. So, and there'll be signs and wonders all through the story that keep telling Mary, you're not dreaming. It's really happening. It's really true. Because they're going to have to make some really important decisions. And like I just said, the message of the angels to the shepherd is interesting. And it starts a theme that you will see in your text. He says, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, listen to what the angel said, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Ah, oh, there's a caveat. 
There's a stipulation. Not everybody's going to be blessed by Christmas. Some are going to rise. Some are going to fall. There it is. He's saying it's not universal salvation. It's not Merry Christmas for everybody. Go and do whatever you want. It's all good. No. Christmas has a stipulation. And it's not just with the angels. It's now, he says, to find favor with God. That's the only way you're going to benefit from a Savior. And the way to find favor is simply by trusting in him. Right? That's what we have to do. And uh, to uh, Joseph, one of the angels said, and by the way, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Oh, he doesn't say he will save everybody from their sins. He saves his people. You're born estranged from God, not his people, not his child. You're his creation, but you're, because of your sins and my sins, we were separated. Something has to happen in life where you're born by him, and if you're born by him, then you become his child, his people. You belong to him when the transaction of your confession of your sins and your uh, confession of faith in Christ, the Spirit comes in. For example, he says to Israel, many will fall, right? Because they stumble over this truth. So John chapter 1, verse 12 says, he came to his own, but they received him not. Boom. But to all who did receive him, to them he gave the power to become children of God, his people, born not just the regular way, but born by the Spirit of God. So God now has children in us. We are the sons and daughters, his people, and he came to save whosoever believes become his people. And peace on earth, and you're only going to enjoy peace with God if the favor of God rests upon you by trusting in his only son, you see? It's an offensive message to the world that they come up with their bumper stickers and they tell God, you know, here it is. God bless the whole world, no exceptions. We'll tell you, God, if you're going to love people, you're going to love everybody the way we are. You're just going to love us that way. We could do our own thing. And, you know, the Christians don't have the corner market on your blessings. God bless us all. And there's another one that says that. Now I understand the feeling. But God is saying, look, there's, there's a way and he does bless the whole world. The Bible says there's general blessings to the whole world. Jesus himself said, you know what? God is kind to the wicked and blesses those who blaspheme his name. He sends rain on farmers who are atheists and he blesses people. Look, do you know how many people hate God and they have beautiful homes Beautiful jobs, beautiful families, beautiful grandchildren. He's, where do you think they got all of that? He blesses people. He's a blesser, you see? But if you want eternal life and you want the blessings to go through death into eternity, then you have to have your sins washed away. And the only way to find favor is through the one who gave himself for our sins. And that's what he's talking about there. 
Uh, he goes on to say there's a cost to Jesus. He will be a sign spoken against. It means a target for all poison darts of unbelievers. And through the centuries, that's what's going on. Jesus is, listen, he is the manifestation of the invisible God. He's, he's, he's the invisible God made visible. Therefore, he's the sign. He's the magnet for anybody who opposes uh, God and his absolute truth. It, it, you can't do it to invisible God. He's the sign. And the cross is the sign. And his work is the sign. And Jesus said, if they hate me, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And so Simeon is saying, look, Jesus is going to be the target for all of this persecution and hate. And we saw that happen in Jesus' life. But it continues to this day. And all the martyrs, millions of people, have been killed in Jesus' name. And when you're persecuted, when people roll their eyes, they marginalize you, or when they can't stand to hear Christmas at a school Christmas uh, pageant, which is now called a winter uh, concert, right? I went to the kids' winter concert right? Not one word of Christmas, not even the word Christmas, right? All of that is generated in this text and fulfilled when he says that's the sign that reveals people's hearts about how they feel about God and the Bible and truth in Christ. It's revealed there. We will not mention his name. Lawsuits to remove the manger scene. That's what he's talking about. The manger scene is the sign, and it attracts hearts that say, no, I want to live my own life and do my own thing. Now, let me close with this, the sign of the cross. Oh, my word. There's something going on in Santa Rosa for 35 years. Here's what it looks like. You guys know. Above St. Francis Acres there is that sign, uh, the cross and limestone, big rocks. And it was the labor of love by this man who's now with his God who he loved and adored. His name is Arvo, his first name. And he passed away at 97 a few years ago. And, he, and I was reading the story about the cross and listen to this. I love it when people just give me the perfect sermon illustration. <laughs> it's like, thank you for doing my job for me. Look at this. Arvo Canisto, creator and keeper of the hillside cross of whitewashed stones that's been adored and reviled in East Santa Rosa for nearly 35 years. It's a sign that some who are being resurrected adore, and those who are pushing back revile. The word revile is to speak against the sign. There's the sign of the cross, and she, the writer, says, uh, it's been for 35 years, it's been adored by some, and our hearts revealed for being lovers of God and mercy and goodness. And others' hearts revealed as saying, no, thank you, reviled, spoken against. And for 35 years, people have gone up, tearing it apart. And then, then those who revile have been through the years tearing it apart. And those who love it go up there and fix it. Now, the cool thing is, is during the fires, somebody fled 
their house telling me uh, first service and everything was on fire. The whole hillside was on fire. And when she came back to her house, the first thing she saw was the charred black hill and the white cross unburned. <laughs> because, <laughs> and the, get this, and then another young man, a young man came to me, oh, maybe a year ago, two years ago. His name's Roman. He's from, I get it mixed up, it's either Ukraine or Russia. And his wife is from either Ukraine or the one's from Ukraine and one's from Russia, right? And, and they're marvelous. They're just the sweetest things. And he comes up to me in his thick Russian accent like a spy, you know? He just says, oh, Pastor Ross. He goes, I have something to confess. And I said, well, OK, come on, bring it. And he goes, listen, I was up all night long. He said they had torn the cross on the hill apart. And I was up all night bringing those stones back into order. <laughs> he was one of the guys who saw the sign torn apart. It was in the paper. Oh, somebody tore the sign apart. And he went up and spent the night up there rolling the stones back. That's what those who rise will, will, will be resurrected to, who have already been resurrected to new life. He raised us to new life. It started when we got saved and born again. And we're the ones who are seeing the sign and adoring and building while the other ones see the sign and tear apart. Which is it for you? We have to make up our minds because time is short. Amen? Amen. Let us all be those who adore the sign and build it up, right? So that we can honor the Christ who came at Christmas to give us life. Let's pray together. Now, Father God, we thank you for your wonderful sign, <laughs> the sign of a baby the sign of a star, the sign of the manger, the sign of the cross, the sign of the resurrection, the sign of the dove. We love it all, God. This is all part of the story of life. I'm passing out of death and condemnation and misery and hopelessness and self. The me, myself, and I, tyranny. Oh, God, thank you for saving us from ourselves. We pray that you would bless us today with a freedom to rest in your love, to let you work, to be like Simeon, all ears, to speak to us, God. Forgive us for having, I don't want to say waxy buildup in our, in our ears, but just hard-hearted ears that don't hear God. We just thank you. For your loving grace toward us in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.